Hello friends, welcome to episode 97 of the Alabama Liberal Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Alpha Malays, Ron Gone, Groundhog's Day, and Still the Worst. Now between the last episode, 96, and this episode, 97, a lot has happened. 96 was the official kickoff of the season 3 of Alabama Liberal Podcast. So they kind of sync up with presidential election years. 2016 was season 1, 2020 season 2, 2020 season 3. I almost feel season 3 is about over before it began because in both 2016 and 2020, I was able to do at least a handful, really at least 10 episodes about just the primaries. 2016 had that absolutely ridiculous Republican primary look like a fucking clown car. And now, of course, they've overcorrected from too many candidates to too few candidates, which we're about to get into. But in 2020, we had a huge Democratic primary. There was a lot of stuff going on. Trump obviously was in the news constantly stirring stuff up. And now here we are in 2024, and it's like it's practically already been decided that we're going to have the first presidential rerun since the 1950s. Between 96 and 97, Chris Christie dropped out of the race. Vivek Ramaswamy dropped out of the race. Ron DeSantis dropped out of the race. For good measure, Nick Saban even quit coaching Alabama football. That's how much the quit everything and drop out of society bug is catching on. I recorded on a Tuesday, and then on a Wednesday, both Chris Christie and Nick Saban dropped out. And my wife was like, do you want to re-record that episode or go back and do it? And I'm like, well, not really, because it's not really a sports podcast. I don't think people necessarily expect to see me talk about that at length or anything like that. But it did happen right after I recorded, so that's why I didn't even mention it. And not that I necessarily would mention it, because it's just not really what we kind of do here. But now Alabama, this was, of course, huge news. I mean, they literally interrupted what people were watching, like broadcast news cut in on whatever TV show they've got, you know, CSI Boca Raton and on NBC, whatever talent show they've got going on where people compete and they win a prize and then they disappear off the face of the earth about six months later. So they interrupted that and you think like, oh my God, did we go to war with Iran? Did uh, World War Three break out? Is there some asteroid hitter for earth? No, 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 nothing that frivolous. Nick Saban has retired from Alabama football. You know, Crimson Tide is weeping right now. And really, I was just kind of getting back into the swing of things. You know, after 96, it was like putting some icy hot on the joints. It was like blowing the cobwebs off. You go in the garage, you get an old car you haven't driven in a while, you take it back on the road. Now, in my case, it may be more of a Honda Civic than a Ferrari, but still, you know, speed is speed. I'm out here on the streets of LA. I've seen a Toyota Corolla blow the doors off of a BMW just because they wanted it more. They treat Beverly like it's Formula One racing, turning those corners and somebody sees a yellow light about to turn red and they're like, I would rather die than stop at this yellow light. And they fucking punch it. They just floor it. They like close their eyes and floor it. In LA, I'm in all this namaste bullshit that goes out the window when people get behind the wheel of a car. Outside the wheel of a car, it's like, yeah, I'm in therapy for 10 years and I'm healing my trauma and I'm doing Buddhism and Reiki and yoga and I'm trying to learn patience. Inside the wheel of a car, they're a Mad Max villain. Outside, it's just like, hey guys, we've got to learn patience and respect each other's path. And it's all about taking a beat and having patience inside the wheel of a car. If a light turns green for 0.5 seconds and somebody hadn't go, ho, go, 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 motherfucker, go, ho, go, go, go. And speaking of how much that perhaps I need the podcast to continue more than necessarily, I want to talk about Joe Biden and Trump for another cycle, a second consecutive cycle, which again has not happened since Adelaide Stevenson and Eisenhower back in the 1950s. Unprecedented in modern times that we would see a rerun. All these pundits would be like, yeah, nobody wants a Joe Biden-Trump rematch. Yeah, no shit. Like, we're used to new stuff. Now, I mean, on Netflix, there's a thousand TV shows and all the different streamers and there's new content coming up constantly. But it almost makes sense in that we have all these reboots and requels and prequels and all this expanded IP to be like, okay, we'll do a reboot of the Trump-Biden election. Hope it goes the same way that it did in 2020. I hope it's not that different from what the outcome was. The other day, like I was driving and a lot of times when I'm driving and it's just really boring and there's nothing to do, 
do. I might think of like, oh, here's a good topic that I could explore. That's how I came up with half the topics we're going to talk about now. I don't have any notes, but they're just be talking out loud, like trying to practice them. So for like a minute or two, you might just be having a full-blown conversation with yourself like you're podcasting. So I stopped at this red light that was pretty extended, and I noticed that I was just talking to myself full-on about Biden and Trump for like a minute. I'm by myself in the car. I'm not on a call. At that red light, there was a garbage can, and a homeless guy was going through the garbage can, digging through like bottles, plastic bottles, and tin cans, and things like that. And he's talking to himself about politics. He's over there like, yeah, man, fuck taxes, fuck taxes. And I'm in my car being like, yeah, fuck Trump, fuck Trump. Almost basically doing the exact same thing that we're talking to ourselves. I'm in a car. He's outside a car. So I think that car windshield is a very, very thin barrier. He looks up at me. I look up at him. We make eye contact. The line between being a guy in a car practicing your podcast for no sponsors and no money, and you know you're not going to get sponsors, and the guy who's digging through the trash can talking to himself, it's very thin, right? Like there's a very thin line between what he's doing and what I'm doing. And what he's doing actually pays more because he's going to go take that to a recycling bin and get a few dollars or whatever. That's the podcaster's future if they quit their podcast, like if they don't keep it going. It's a very thin line between talking to yourself like a lunatic and having a podcast that you're practicing for. I might need to keep this going more than really there's a need to discuss Trump and Biden a second time. But I do feel a need to talk about that this is a really stunning development. I really thought that Ron DeSantis, if there was any candidate who had a prayer at toppling Trump for the nomination, I did think it would be DeSantis. When he quit the race abruptly and really kind of like the wimpy, limp dick, short guy that he is, I thought this is very typical of a bully. Ron DeSantis is in Florida. He's running around like he's Lord Emperor Farquaad of Florida. He's Lord Farquaad, basically. Like, he needs all of his goons to do his bidding for him. But when it came time for DeSantis to go out on the national stage, and, you know, he had to eat a corn dog for a couple of times at an Iowa State Fair, they said he looked miserable when he was campaigning. The reason I brought up in 96 him wearing those white boots and him possibly being gay, it's the only time he looks happy. When he's wearing white boots, he's having a ball in those boots, you know. I feel he would be happier, as much as he's trying to stop drag queens and drag shows, he would be happier as a drag queen because the only time we've seen him with a sincere smile is when he's doing things that are vaguely gay. And the rest of the time when he's having to talk about, you know, building the border wall and kicking out the immigrants and campaigning in Iowa, trying to make a state that's already 95% white, even whiter, he just doesn't really look like he's into it that much. He doesn't look happy. He looks pretty miserable. Even at the Iowa State Ferry, they're all eating deep fried pork chops and Twinkies combined with Oreos, like a Twinkie with 50 Oreos glued to the outside, all that fair food. I used to live in Minneapolis. They had the Minnesota State Fair, and it was stuff that probably could kill you as you're eating it. Like you think, oh, I'm a healthy 25-year-old. I just ran a marathon. And then by the time you've eaten three meals at the State Fair, you're dead, you know, because it really is artery clogging. He just didn't look like he was into it. He didn't look like he wanted to be there. To have him just do the Iowa caucus, though. Now, the Iowa caucus is famously unpredictive. I didn't see a lot of pundits mention this. They're like, well, he lost Iowa, so yeah, I guess it makes sense he dropped out. In 2020, Biden, of course, famously lost the Iowa caucus by a pretty big margin. In 2016, Trump lost the Iowa caucus. Ted Cruz would have been the 2016 nominee if the Iowa caucus was predictive. In 2020, it would have been Buttigieg or Bernie. I mean, Biden wasn't even in the top two. Bill Clinton didn't win the Iowa caucus in 1992. I mean, this is not really a very good predictor of who's going to win the nomination and who's going to become president. Bill Clinton didn't win it. John McCain in 2008, Mike Huckabee won the Iowa caucus. Rick Santorum in 2012 won the Iowa caucus. So over and over, a lot of people that won the Iowa caucus actually don't become 
the nominee. So I was quite stunned that he's like, well, 100,000 people in Iowa who pretty much get it wrong every year, uh, they didn't pick me, so that means I'm doomed and I'm going to quit and drop out of this race. I mean, I just didn't really understand his thinking behind that when he'd already raised a fortune, spent a fortune. Now I saw where he gave an interview right after he quit and he was very bitter about it. He was like, voters, they were just sort of checked out, not paying attention. They felt Trump was inevitable and they just rubber stamped him, even though they didn't want him to be the nominee. I don't know. You know, I mean, it seems like somebody wants him to be the nominee because he literally told people at the Iowa caucus, even if you die, show up and vote for me. I think this is incredible. A few days before Iowa, he said, even if you're sick as a dog, he was referring to the flu going around, COVID going around, all these diseases people at his rallies were having. The fact that it was going to be a record snowstorm, it was going to be horrible fucking weather. And he's like, even if you die, it's worth it to vote for me. And then it still worked. People still showed up and voted for him. Guys, I don't trust somebody who wants to be president that much. I really don't. Everybody's like, well, Biden, you know, he's not that into it. He looks like he'd rather be in a crackle barrel and some Browns and then rocking in the chair and falling asleep or whatever. Like He just doesn't seem that energized about it. But I don't know if you want a president who wants it that bad. Like He's willing to kill people to get it. He's willing to kill his fans and said, even if you die, it's worth it. The Iowa caucus is not fucking worth it. As I just sat here and said, historically, the, their record is not fantastic in terms of predicting things. And it's the first caucus of 50-something. Why does he need to win that so bad? Like, if he's as strong a nominee as people say he is, why did he feel like he needed to win that so bad? And why does he feel the need to push Nikki Haley out so bad because he's furious that she's still running. He wanted to win the Iowa caucus, have Vivek, Ron, Nikki Haley all drop out, and then he wanted to basically be like, well, people in Iowa who always get it wrong, they voted. I'm the inevitable choice, so you might as well all line up behind me. Like, if he's as strong a nominee as people say he is, why does he not want to have any other primaries vote? South Carolina hasn't voted. Super Tuesday hasn't voted. The majority of the country hasn't come anywhere near voting, and I don't think she's going to win. I mean, I really don't. I think it would be almost impossible but that's always been true. And it's not because of anything she's doing. It's her identity. I mean, she's been running almost as long as Trump has. I think they were the first two people to really declare and get out there. And she's been campaigning hard for over a year. It doesn't make any difference, as I said in 96. And I'm not proud to say this. I don't want this to be the case. But somebody born Nimarada Rand Hawa is not going to become the Republican Party nominee this cycle or any time in the future. They have never had anything at the top of their ticket but a white male. They've never had a woman except 2008, the experiment of putting Sarah Palin with John McCain, and they haven't attempted it since. 99% of Republican tickets have been two white guys. I think Trump might change that this cycle only because he wants a woman that will do whatever he says. It could be Marjorie Taylor Greene. It could be Elise Stefanik. It could very well be a woman. But I don't think he trusts men to the extent because he's like, Mike Pence, he was my bootlicker until he wasn't. Bill Barr was my bootlicker until he wasn't. Chris Christie was a Trump bootlicker for a long time until Trump actually got in the White House and then especially after 2020 and the insurrection he turned on him, but Chris Christie was a Trump backer. They were talking about making him the running mate. He was on the short list to become VP. So I think Trump, because he's had fallen outs with Scaramucci, Chris Christie, Mike Pence, Bill Barr, and this is what kind of is so strange about Trump's appeal is that most of his biggest boosters are men and they love him. I mean, it's a lot of white men that just absolutely think the guy walked on Mars, but they know he's a fascist. They know he's an aspiring fascist. They know what he's like. They know what he wants to do. I am surprised that so many white American men who historically don't have a lot of people above them telling them what to do. We hate being told what to do. It was no surprise that when you saw those COVID masks and people said, oh, you got to mask up. It was a lot of white men losing their
their shit because we really don't like people telling us what to do. We really don't. I have a downstairs neighbor. He smokes. His wife smokes. His daughter, his live-in adult daughter who's like 30-something, it's like, oh yeah, she's going to school. She's like barely younger than I am and you know, I never see her leave the house, but they all live in that house and they all smoke. And anybody else, if we'd asked them not to stop smoking or go somewhere else to do it or whatever, I really think that they would have respected that. But I, this guy does not want to be told what to do. I mean, there's a lot of guys like that. They can't stand it. Like it just drives them crazy to be told even basic things like put on a face mask, get the vaccine. I'm in the category a little bit like that where now that we've had the vaccine for two years, you know, I love the vaccine. I really do. I wish everybody would go and get the COVID vaccine, but I freely admit my days of wearing a face mask are over. I guess if there was another pandemic that we didn't have a vaccine for, I would put it back on, but I didn't enjoy it. And out here in California to see people still wearing it, I see people outside walking their dog by themselves and they're wearing a face mask. Like they're outside in the wind. Nobody's around them. They're wearing a face mask. I see people inside a car by themselves in a car wearing a face mask. It's like, who are you going to give it to? Or who's going to give it to you? And then you flip the other side of that to where you go to Alabama and you're like, oh, uh, have you had the COVID vaccine? I don't trust that China made shit. You know, I ain't putting no Microsoft chips in my body and all this. So in Alabama, you have people that won't even get the vaccine. And in California, you have people that they would wear a mask in the bathroom of their house house with nobody else around. I mean, they're just that paranoid about catching it. I mean, some people, they're outside walking their dog. They're wearing two face masks. I mean, it's coming to where they're going to wear like two face masks and then put a scuba suit on top of it, maybe a breathing tank, maybe an apparatus. They can't even breathe. They fucking pass out. They're like, oh shit, it's so hard to breathe. They pass out on top of themselves. I mean, to me, it restricts your breathing. And also too, if your mucus and your saliva and everything, if it's getting on that face mask and you're breathing that back in constantly, I don't see how that could be good for you to trap germs on a mask that you're breathing out of. But the weird thing is that there's white men that live in Alabama or, or elsewhere here in California. I see Trump stickers on the back of people's cars. I see a Trump sticker and an Israel flag on the back of some cars, which I don't understand that shit at all. I understand liking Israel, but if you're really a big Israel backer, like how in the hell are you going to back the American Hitler? Like if it's never forget, why are you forgetting and trying to put an authoritarian into the White House? I really don't understand that. Even if somebody's in Huntington Beach or Orange County or here, there's conservative people in the heart of LA, they would hear me say that about the face mask and they'd be like, oh, you're dead on. I completely agree. That shit sucks. And then in the next breath, be like, Trump 2024, Trump 2028, Trump 2032. Like they're okay with him running forever. Even if he gets reelected, they want to bend the rules to where he can serve a third term. They know who he is. His entire 2024 platform is vote for me so I can get revenge on my enemies. Terrible platform. But he's basically promised rip up the Constitution, do what he wants, expand the executive state, give himself all the federal powers. I mean, a lot of what he's actually saying he wants to do, and he's saying it out loud. He's not hiding it. That's the interesting thing about Trump is he's an honest fucking liar. What he wants to do is so transparent, and the fact that so many people can't see it or they refuse to see it or they see it and they think they like it. A lot of his fans, they don't really care like, okay, yeah, he'll shut up the Constitution and he's not going to have checks and balances and he'll expel Congress and do what he wants to do. But that's all a good thing because we will benefit from that somehow. How are you going to benefit from a nation that runs on no laws and patronage? This is what a lot of Russian people think, is that if Putin's in power forever, it'll somehow benefit them. But their courts are inconsistent. It's whatever the leader wants. All these dictatorships, it's whatever the leader wants, whatever brain fart they have that day. That's just what they do. They just do whatever they feel like because there's not a consistent legal system to determine outcomes. And a lot of his fans feel if only they could just kick out every immigrant in America, miraculously, a dream will come true. It'll be like a genie's lamp. You kick out all the immigrants and then they get three wishes somehow. Like it's going to make 
make their life better. I mean, and you saw that kind of thinking in 2016 when they're like, Trump's going to shake things up. He's going to bring change. If you work for the post office, you're not going to become a movie producer just because the president changes. Like, no president is going to change things up that much to where all your dreams are going to come true. All a president can really do, and this is why I love Joe Biden. It's why a lot of people don't like him, but all a president can really do, stability so that you can achieve your own dreams. Keep COVID out of the country. Keep a pandemic under control. Keep the Floyd riots from burning down various cities. Keep the economy relatively stable where there's no business shutdowns, no government shutdowns. The schools aren't closed. You have to be able to take your kids to school, go to the bank, withdraw your funds. Like Trains have to run on time. There has to be stability for you to be able to build anything. And that's what I expect a president to do. Of course, nobody's life's perfect. It's not going to be a bed of roses. You shouldn't expect that. But keep all the chaos down to a manageable level so that you can go out of your house and achieve your own dreams. But the idea that, oh, I'm a loser and my kid's on fentanyl and I don't have a job and I lost my job to an immigrant 15 years ago and I've been out of the workforce all this time. But if he kicks out all the immigrants, you know, a 65-year-old guy who's been drawing disability forever, he's going to have a construction business. Don't you know that? That's a fantasy. It's a seductive fantasy. I understand that. But expecting a president to be able to do that for you is bullshit. And of course, people see what they want to see. When it comes to Trump's fans, they talk about how low gas prices were in 2020. Well, of course, there's a pandemic raging. There's no demand to go anywhere. You can't leave the house. You can't go anywhere. So yeah, gas prices are going to fall. But that isn't the marker of a good economy. The demand is so low to go anywhere that gas prices have collapsed. And they take Biden's economy. And of course, he can't win. If there was a recession right now, they'd be screaming, look at Biden. Biden's economics. They don't work. There's a recession. All these people lost their jobs. Instead, a lot of people have gained jobs. There's been an unprecedented amount of job growth. The stock market just hit a new all-time high. If the stocks were down, all these people who a lot of their wealth is retired to 401ks and retirement plans and pensions and things like that, they haven't been in the workforce in a long time. A lot of Trump's fans don't actually work, which is why they think the economy was so great under him because they were tied to a fixed budget. Oh, this is great. $2 a gallon gas and all this stuff like that because they're tied to a fixed amount of money coming in. And so to them, because they're not in the job force right now, and they don't care about all the jobs that are being created, they don't care that wages are getting better, they don't really care about a lot of the things Biden's doing, they just go to the store and they see price gouging, and it kind of drives them nuts. I mean, they bitch and bitch and bitch about prices, and they are out of control. Price gouging is a real problem. I wish people would address that more, and as a matter of fact, since the primary is basically over for both parties, I was going to announce that I'm going to talk a little bit about the election in this episode, but starting in March, I'll probably transition to more like John Oliver type things where I pick a topic and they go deep on it. I can't even count on the primary to last me 10 good episodes for me to really get into this stuff because everybody's just quitting. Primaries are over by New Hampshire, which is pretty crazy. Like I'll get into the economy and price gouging in later episodes. But I mean, when you look at the price gouging, what's Trump's plan for that? He doesn't have one. He does not have a plan to fix something like price gouging. He has no ideas. The Republican Party right now has no ideas for anything remotely serious. Healthcare, they have no plan for this. And they've proven that over and over again. Climate crisis over and over again. This price gouging, in one breath, they're bitching like, hey, you go to McDonald's for breakfast and try to get an egg McMuffin and a biscuit and it's $12. Now, what the hell's going on with this? And then you say, well, you think Biden should put price caps on McDonald's? Hell no, that's socialism. Anything that the Democrats have tried to do to get prices down, Republicans have outright dismissed it as socialism and they won't vote for it and they won't go along with it. Even oil prices. Yes, oil prices are too high. But you have a solution for that called an electric car. And I swear to God, 
you could give them away to Republicans. They won't drive them. They don't want them. And so why are you bitching about oil prices if there's a very clear solution to this? Most Republicans own a house, rural areas. They could put solar panels on their house. They could drive an electric car. They could plug an electric car into solar panels. Their fuel costs would be basically free. It would go down from the $4 a gallon that they bitch about. And it's funny that they bitch about it, and I'm paying 4 to $5 a gallon in California. Gas prices actually do suck in Los Angeles, and I don't bitch about it as much as they do when it gets up to 3 bucks a gallon. If it really did bother them that much, there's a very easy solution. Drive an electric car, plug it into a solar panel. You say that, they look at you like you just ask them to blow every guy at a gay pride parade or something like that. Like It's such an outrageous solution. These things shouldn't be outrageous, very easy and common sense solutions. And they look at you like, oh my God, this guy's a communist. Nothing communist about buying an electric car and plugging it into your house, which is run by solar panels, but they don't want innovation. They want to be tied to the old companies and whatever they charge and then continuously bitch about it forever. And of course, that's not a great system. And yeah, I guess Joe Biden's not your guy if you just want to keep the same dated ideas and then expect them to never change or never grow. With healthcare, I think the fact that the Republicans have no policy for healthcare but about 50 different ideas about immigration, this should tell you something. Building an electrified border wall and kicking out all the immigrants and Fox News plopping a camera down on the border and being like, oh my God, look, there's a guy trying to get across the border. Immigration's out of control. Immigration's out of control because people want to get into this country. The day that the border with Mexico is not a problem is the day that our country is such a shithole, nobody wants to come here. The fact that people want to get across the border, it's the same today as it's been for almost 100 years. People who are coming across El Salvador were trying to get to America. Oh, yeah, that's called Monday. That's called every day. That's been the double O's, the 90s, the 80s. I mean, it's been like that for such a long time. But what is different is healthcare costs are out of control. The third leading cause of debt in this nation is medical debt. And you can see them. They talk about their cancer stories on TikTok, on Reddit, on Facebook, all over social media. People get cancer. Doctor says, okay, you've got about a 20% chance of living. Do you want to continue with chemo and some different treatments that are experimental, quite expensive? Your insurance won't cover some of them, but it will increase your chances from 20% to maybe 30%. These are not great odds. If I asked you to play Russian roulette and I said, you got a one in three chance of surviving, you'd say, oh my God, that's not a terrific chance. You probably wouldn't take it. But what choice do they have? Nowadays, a 40-year-old could easily have colon cancer. A 35-year-old could have prostate cancer. They believe that cell phones emit enough radiation that that might account for why so many young men now have prostate cancer that didn't used to have it. And possibly an uptick in women with ovarian cancer and things like that. Much younger people are getting these diseases than used to. Colon cancer has been on the rise for millennials because a lot of the food we're eating is more chemicalized than it's ever been. These are not crazy things to talk about. Forever chemicals on the food, the water. Now there's been so much pressure that some fast food companies have decided to take forever chemicals off of the wrappers that they serve because it used to be the wrappers, they would put them on there to kind of keep the cheese from sticking to it, a lot of things like that. Well, they're now getting rid of some of that in fast food. I did an episode years ago about forever chemicals and you say that to a lot of people and they look at you like, what the hell are you talking about? They look at you like some nut. My guys, guys, there's chemicals in the food, the water, the stuff you touch, your furniture, your clothes. But there actually is. The guys that we would look at in a 60s movie and be like, whoa, that hippie, he's doing acid or whatever. That's actually the truth, that there are chemicals in your furniture, in your clothes, in your food, absorbed through your skin that you're eating. And people are finally waking up to this fact. But until then, a lot of 
millennials are now getting colon cancer. And so they go and they say, well, you just took the experimental treatment, you just took the chemo, good news, your cancer's in remission. If the news is not good, and they're one of the four-fifths of people that die from stage four colon cancer, then they die, and they die in debt. They die with $300,000 in debt. If they do survive, which is, again, is what you want to happen, they survive, and it's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. They're like, yep, your cancer's in remission. You could live another 10 years. Hopefully, it'll be longer than that, but maybe 10 years is what you have. That's great. Oh man, I want to live. There's so many things I want to do. When I was going through chemo, I thought I've never been to Machu Picchu. I've never seen Antarctica. So many trips I want to go on. I want to make a business. There's a lot of dreams and ideas they got to go, yeah, that's great. But uh, that 300000 that you borrowed to uh, survive, uh, there's interest payments on that. They're going to kick in now. And you think, what the hell? You've survived cancer with a long shot bid, a one in five bid. And then now you've got to immediately take on this mortgage level of debt, like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt with interest payments. A guy I feel like with slit back hair and a bunch of hundreds rolled up in a rubber band is like, yeah, you know, uh, it's good you survived, but uh, how about those payments? You know, like a loan shark comes and talks to you. And so now you're in debt. There's people that have survived cancer that are like, I'm now worth more dead than alive. And really, I'm just paying the interest on these payments until I die because there was stuff that I realized I wanted to do and I'm just paying the bare minimum on these payments. I don't think I should have medical debt and they shouldn't. I mean, millions of people deal with this. The Republicans don't have a plan for that shit. You talk about that, their eyes glaze over, they get like kind of glassy eyed. I mean, this is policy. They don't do policy. They do power. Power over policy is one of their big beliefs. And that's why we come to the idea of alpha malaise. That's a play on alpha male. This is kind of a lot on uh, YouTube and things like that. A lot of platform that young men dominate, but everything they talk about is alpha male, beta male, alpha male, beta male. I don't believe this shit. I think it's poisonous for a lot of young men to absorb a message like that, to be like, Jordan Peterson, he knows what he's talking about. Jordan Peterson, it's amazing that this guy talks so much about alpha male, beta male. He is a beta male. Anybody could beat that dude up. He's a fussy nerd. A lot of the men that are actual alpha males. They don't ever have to say they're alpha males. Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and Joe Biden, they are alpha males. But would you ever hear them call themselves that? Never. They would never call themselves that or refer to themselves in that way. I feel like if you are one, you don't really have to say it. You don't have to go out there and advertise it. Kind of like when I hear a lot of white people say, like, oh, I'm an ally. I'm an ally. I immediately think you're not an ally. I feel like if you have to say it, you're probably not one. But I'm an ally. And then in the next breath, be like, oh yeah, that uh, person displeased me in any way. Let's fire him from a job or kick him out of a school or deny him a place at the school or whatever. I'm a little leery when I see people saying that. People label themselves a certain way that can be misleading. So, you know, somebody labeling themselves an ally doesn't mean they are. Somebody labeling themselves, calling themselves an alpha male, they're probably not, would be my guess. And so for a lot of young men to absorb this, I do think is part of the appeal of a bully, asshole, aspiring tyrant like Trump, which again, the idea that these people want a guy like that on top of them, a leader of the wolf pack, a guy who can bend the rules and do whatever he damn well pleases, it is startling to me. Young men where you tell them, like, hey, please don't smoke in this building. Fuck you, tyrant, tyrant, oppressor. Okay, communist, can't smoke in this building anymore. And then at the same time, be like, hey, are you happy with voting for a guy who will strip your right to vote away, take away abortion, take away all these things, and tell you what to do the rest of your life? Yeah, sounds good. Sounds like a good idea to me. People have who are not drinking the Trump Kool-Aid, I think they've woken up to the idea that this is not a good system, and it's not under that to live. And so when people say, oh, yeah, Biden and Trump, nobody wants a rematch between them. Nobody's excited for that. You know, in 2020, it wasn't about excitement. It was about how do we survive 2020? 
It was about how do we get COVID under control? How do we save the country from the Floyd riots? How do we reopen businesses and everything? Trump had no plan for... It's not surprising that he would be okay killing his fans in Iowa because he was okay killing his fans about three times before this. Like, you look at his fans and the shit that they're willing to take from him. In 2020, he tells them to drink bleach. He tells them to take that hydroxychloroquine or whatever. I know that's not exactly what it was called, but it was that bogus cure that he was probably getting paid to promote. He was willing to get a lot of them killed because he wasn't focused on COVID and containing that at all. It was all about the election. Jam up the post office, take away these voting places, have a bunch of stupid in-person rallies, which Joe Biden was not doing, so that way COVID would spread further among his fans. Of course, January 6th, he's willing to sacrifice tens of thousands of his fans to the police, ask them to invade the Capitol, and that could have gotten them killed. He didn't know that cops won't show up and shoot those people. He didn't care that they could have done that. He's going on and on about that Ashley woman, one of the insurrectionists that got killed, one of the coup plotters, you know, like she's some big martyr. Everybody's like, oh my God, you see what happened to that woman? I'm like, yeah, it's almost like trying to commit treason and invading the Capitol and killing the vice president is a bad thing. That's wild, ain't it? So people trying to make her into this big martyr and he didn't care that that woman got killed. He would have been happy if a hundred of those people had gotten killed. If one of the security guards at the Capitol had been like John Wick and just gone around killing all these people, he could have been like, see, look at my beautiful martyrs. Oh my God, look at how they target us conservatives. Don't you see like feeding into that white victimhood narrative that's so fucking toxic that so many of his fans, they've all got that. But if only we could kick out the immigrants, then I wouldn't be a target for this discrimination. Don't you see that? He was happy getting tens of thousands of those people arrested. They all went to jail. He could have pardoned them before he left office. He did not pardon them. He's talking about now if he's reelected, he will pardon them. Well, most of them have already served their jail time. So it's a little bit like too little, too late. He could have done that. He didn't care. The second they flopped it on January the 6th, he was like, okay, is there anything else I can do? All he cared about was loading classified documents into those U-Haul vans and getting them down to his Mar-a-Lago palace, his fortress of treason. And then right after he leaves office in February, he starts holding rallies again. He's only been out of office about three weeks and he immediately starts holding rallies. He had one in Coleman, Alabama in a field. People got COVID from that. It's thousands of people packed in when there's no vaccine at the time. The vaccine was not widely distributed until about summer and fall of that year. And then until then, he was having rallies. He didn't care. So he risked his fans with COVID in 2020, not really containing it, asking them to inject bleach, asking them to drink hydroxychloroquine. He risked them with the January the 6th insurrection. He risked them having rallies when COVID's at its absolute most horrible peak. He risked their money by taking $200 million off of them for a stop the steal thing that he said was for stop the steal, but it was actually for his super PAC. He immediately misappropriated those funds. And now he's risking their lives again, asking them to go out in the middle of a snowstorm so he can win one caucus or primary out of about 50 something because some of the territories get to vote as well. Got to win that first one and got to win it by a big margin. So all of the competitors who were not facing 91 indictments and they don't have a mugshot and they're not going about to be on about 15 different trials, he's going to bully all them out of the race so that he's the only alternative so that while he should be campaigning for president, he's actually on trial and doing all this other stuff. He doesn't care about these people. He doesn't give a shit about them. So alpha malaise would be if you have a leader that you think is going to be a strong man and a lot of these young men, they feel like they live in chaos. 
They feel the world is chaos. This has been a narrative for the right wing and conservatives since the 60s. Since the 60s of the civil rights movement and the sexual revolution, they felt this way for a long time. The country that they knew from the 1950s TV shows they watched, that country's gone. How do they get it back? Everything's being taken from them, yada, yada, yada. I mean, this is a recurring fantasy. And now a lot of young men, you know, they've grown up in an environment where their parents are divorced. America's got the highest divorce rate in the world the highest out-of-wedlock pregnancy rate in the world, very high rate of drug overdoses, fentanyl overdoses, all these social problems that are connected, drug use, divorce, men that don't really want to be fathers from accidental pregnancies or whatever it is. A lot of men are roped into being fathers in the red states, at least, from a very young age. I mean, if you have a kid when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you don't really know how to be a dad to that kid. You don't really want to do it. You want to go out and explore and adventure, do your life or whatever. And a lot of liberal kids, they have that life because they do birth control. And if they ever get into an accident, abortion is easy, as it should be. Nobody should be forced to have a kid that they don't want. I don't know how that's not a violation of the slavery amendment and the Constitution, to be forced to have a physical burden that you do not want, and then to provide money for a kid that you didn't want to have if you decide to keep it for 18 years. Now, this is not something we should be encouraging. No other industrialized nation, unless it's a theocracy in the Islamic world, but no other Western industrialized nation has such severe penalties for these things. And so a lot of these social problems that these men have grown up with, they're in a world of chaos and they're looking for the daddy, the hidden daddy that they didn't know. Trump enters that picture and he tells them he'll be this. Joe Rogan tells them he'll be, Joe Rogan's a fucking moron. Like you listen to that guy talk for 10 minutes and you think, I wouldn't trust this guy to tell me the weather. And he's going to tell people how to live and give them information on this and that. And so we've once again entered the alpha malaise where there's a lot of people in the country who know that's not the way to proceed. But now they're stuck with what I call Groundhog's Day, which is that you've got a Joe Biden versus Trump rematch. It's like Groundhog Day, the great Bill Murray movie from the early 90s. In my opinion, the best romantic comedy ever made. And he's like, well, it's Groundhog Day again. You can see that on the media's face. They're like, well, it's Biden and Trump again, where they're almost not wanting this to happen. To me, it's an easy choice. It's like if you voted for Biden over Trump in 2020, Trump has not gotten better in the last four years. Biden has made several legislative gains. He's passed several major bills. Between when you voted in November November 2020, and right now, Trump has staged an insurrection. He's been indicted 91 times. He's had a mugshot. He's had several things go to trial. A jury just awarded someone $83 million against him, and he was furious. He's on Twitter, Truth Social, or whatever platform is his choice, bashing Nikki Haley every day for having the audacity to stay into the race against him. He's made it an open secret. He thinks Mark Milley and other people that worked under him should be executed for treason. He thinks that Mike Pence deserved to be killed. What kills me is all these voters being like, Nikki Haley, she should drop out and be his VP. Who in their right fucking mind would want to be his VP? His VP is going to be a total idiot, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, or some woman that he kind of wants to screw, like Elise Stefanik, like a woman he's sexually into and might keep around, like Elise. But after they've seen what happened to Mike Pence, who in their right mind is crazy enough? Let me take a job for four years where this guy berates the shit out of me. Anything of consequence, he dumps in my lap. He dumped the COVID response into Mike Pence's lap. And he's going to do that to every VP is going to say, well, you're the politician. I'm not the politician. Okay, yeah, I was president for four years, but I'm not really like into the details or whatever. So Mike Pence, 
you were governor of Indiana, you know how to do all the government shit. So he'll dump that. He'll berate them if they displease him in any way. And if they won't do what he tells them to do, he's okay with them getting killed. He was fine with Mike Pence getting killed. He said he deserved it because he wouldn't do what he wanted him to do. Mike Pence was like, the pressure is enormous for me to not certify this vote or overturn it in some way. Why in the fuck would Nikki Haley want that job? Let alone the fact he would never, ever pick her because he wants somebody that he can control. He'd never do that. And it would be completely humiliating for her to be subjected to that. He might pick her just so he could humiliate her every day for four years. These purple states that rejected all of Trump's hand-picked candidates in 2022, I don't think they're going to miraculously turn around and pick Trump in 2024. I hope I'm right. People say you must be happy with it being a Trump versus Biden rematch because Trump is the weakest candidate. I'm actually not happy at all about it because number one, I think it sets a terrible, terrible precedent that somebody could stage a coup. It doesn't work, but they then get to be renominated the next time. I think he should be in jail or at the very least banned from running for office ever again. Basically tells DeSantis or Ted Cruz or whoever the next big Republican tyrant, you know, DeSantis is disappointed because he thought he was going to be the next big Republican tyrant. Josh Hawley might be the next one. I'm not sure. But it basically tells them when you lose a coup, it's okay because you won't go to jail. You might face some legal problems, but it won't matter because you'll be renominated to it again next time. I remember in one of the first podcast episodes, Michael, the co-host for the first season, he was like, you know, I guess I'm old-fashioned, but I genuinely believe the president of the United States should be somebody people look up to, somebody they kind of respect, somebody who has some kind of character. And of course, he's right. I feel the same way right now. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I genuinely believe the president of the United States shouldn't be psychotic. So number one, it sets a bad precedent. Number two, he's psychotic. He's fucking crazy. There's no way around that problem. And so to have a guy who is psychotic and his base is very much in a toxic thrall to him. I don't use the word toxic lightly. I mean, here, like in LA, people use it. Somebody takes a parking space from you, be like, oh, that's toxic. I don't use it as lightly as people do. I really think that the relationship Trump's fans have to him is toxic to where they could donate money to him. He could steal it from them. They don't care. He could risk their lives. They don't care. There's nothing that he could do to them. There was a fan at one of his rallies where he called the guy fat. He pointed him out and said, oh my God, you have a serious weight problem. Like Trump's fucking thin. I mean, give me a goddamn break. Now, that's like Jimmy Fallon saying, you got a drinking problem. Trump's as fat as that guy was, if not fatter. He's like, oh my God, you have a serious weight problem. And the guy was like, I'm just so happy he noticed me. That is pathetic. And that's not a good relationship for people to have with any politician. If I told my fans that it was okay for them to die, as long as they voted for me for a fucking caucus that didn't even matter, I wouldn't be fit to be president. And I wouldn't expect them to vote for me. I would expect to lose if I was okay risking their lives. And the fact that he can do that and then win Iowa by some kind of record, they're like, it was the biggest non-incumbent showing for a candidate. But of course, that's the part he doesn't like is the non-incumbent. In his mind, he's running as an incumbent. And he's run his campaign like that, refusing to participate in the Republican debates. But he holds a rally like in the parking lot, you know, or something like they'll be at a stadium having the debate. He's out in the parking lot selling merchandise. He doesn't want to have a debate, but he's there in the same city half the time because, you know, he's got to be close to the action, but not anywhere people can actually debate him. When these rallies, like three weeks after he leaves office, reannouncing he's running for re-election, like the day after the 2022 midterms, he's running as an incumbent. He wants all the privileges of incumbency bestowed upon him. 
it been very frustrating for people like us who want a real race in the primary. We don't necessarily want Ron DeSantis to drop out the second he has any adversity whatsoever. But I have to admit that strategy has worked for Trump to just run as an incumbent. And DeSantis was kind of right. And I never thought that sentence would have the misfortune of falling from my lips that Ron DeSantis was right about anything. But running as an incumbent, it did make him seem inevitable. So let's talk about Ron DeSantis for just a minute. Is anybody else shocked that this guy just gave up so quick? I kind of am because of the money he'd raised and the fact that it hurts him for next time. He's like, oh yeah, I'll run again in 2028 if we still have a country left. He literally said that. He's like, if we still have a country left. If you really believe that we might not have a country in 2028 or Trump could plunge us into a civil war or Biden could end the world in some way, why in the hell wouldn't you keep running? If you really thought you were the last resort for humanity, would that not be a pretty good incentive to keep running? That just makes me feel like he's like, yeah, fuck it, whatever. The day he quit, there was a quote he put on Twitter. He said it was a Winston Churchill quote. Other people have said it. It's not a Churchill quote, but it was basically about having the courage to continue. He's like, what matters is we have the courage to continue. And then six hours later, he drops out of the race. A tacit admission that he is a coward, that he will fold the second he faces any real pushback or adversity. And I'm not totally surprised by this. A lot of bullies are exactly like this. They're bully, they bully, they bully. If their victim punches them right in the face, they immediately stop fucking with them and they disappear and they never go near him again. I'm not surprised that DeSantis is like that. It was very gratifying seeing him flop so hard on the national stage. It couldn't have happened to a better person. But to then have mixed feelings about it to where I want the primary to continue because I want Trump to have to spend money to run against DeSantis. I want the Republicans to spend a lot of money and I don't want them to consolidate too quickly. And I really think the best possible race for Biden would have been to have DeSantis as the nominee and Trump hates that, goes crazy, runs third party, splits off a huge chunk of DeSantis votes third party because you know Trump's base? They're the first base since Teddy Roosevelt's that's crazy enough to think a third-party candidate could win. Okay, Every now and again, you see a third-party candidate, Ross Perot or Teddy Roosevelt, come along and snatch a big chunk of the vote. Trump would have been that. His fans are a cult. And that could have easily been 10 million to 30 million votes that Ron DeSantis doesn't get because they go with Trump when he runs third-party against DeSantis. And even if he doesn't run third-party, he would have been screaming from the rafters, this shit is rigged, it is rigged, I have been cheated, I have been screwed, the powers that be have conspired against me, everybody hates me, except you guys. You guys are wonderful. Everybody else is against me, and that's why I didn't win and I was cheating screwed. Don't vote for Ron DeSantis. He's a liar. He's part of the same puppet machine. Ron DeSantis, meatball Ron, you know, he would have went fucking nuts. He wouldn't know who to even aim it at. Does he go after crooked Joe Biden or does he go after Ron DeSantis? And that could easily cause at least 5 million crucial voters to stay home and not vote for Ron DeSantis. Because they're looking at it like Joe Biden, you know, he's lame, he's old, but we've already had him for four years. My 401k is doing pretty good. I mean, the stocks are doing great. It's not really as bad as we've said it's been being. And then if Ron loses, then we can have Trump run again in 2028. I could see them doing the calculation, kind of like they did for Mitt Romney and John McCain, where they didn't totally support them. Not fully, not full-throated support. Mitt Romney had a lot of conservatives that just simply didn't vote. They just sort of stayed home. I actually, like when I say Ron gone, that's a play on gone wrong. So like Ron DeSantis' campaign has gone wrong. He has been drummed out of the race and now he's back in Florida causing problems. He's like, he's going to send the Florida National Guard to the Texas border. I thought, this guy is so pathetic. He gets his ass kicked on the stage, national stage, runs home with his tail between his legs and then immediately starts causing up trouble again. Like, how can I be an asshole to immigrants? He's like, I'm frustrated as hell and I'm angry. So who am I going to take that out on? It's just so pathetic that he's trying to save face and like now he's in a bad mood. So the voters have to 
suffer by sending Florida National Guard troops that really have an immigration problem of their own. He talks like Florida don't have an immigration problem. We got to send them to the border and we got to keep out those Hispanics and all the Cubans that run South Florida are like, yeah, fuck them. All of Cuba and half the Caribbean goes to Florida and he's going to send Florida National Guard troops to Texas to secure their damn border and tell them how it's done. Like, give me a damn break. But he's so desperate to get in on the action. He funds for Texas to send immigrants to Martha's Vineyard and things like that. Like, he's funding that. So Greg Abbott's over there like, hey, if this idiot wants to waste his money and his troops to do this thing that I want done, Colin Roddy's like, oh, Ron, you're so wise. You're so powerful. If only I was as powerful as you manipulating him into getting what he wants. Now, God, and the voters of Florida voted for that again. They had Charlie Crist, a centrist Republican governor. He was governor as a Republican. Then he had to go to the Democratic Party because they ran out all the centrist in Florida. He's already been governor. He knows how to do the job. He used to be a Republican. You can't sit there and say, oh, this guy's so crazy. He's such a wackadoo liberal and all this shit. And that's why I get frustrated with so many people pretending that the Democratic Party's out of control. Charlie Crist is a centrist Republican who then has to run as a Democrat, and they still choose DeSantis by 30 points. DeSantis could be the Republican nominee. Now, other than Trump and Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, DeSantis is the most hated right-wing politician in America. For me, it's Trump, Matt Gates, Josh Hawley, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and then DeSantis. He's bottom five for sure. Bottom 10, no question. He's one of the most loathsome Republican politicians in the country, and he could have been their nominee. They could have owned the libs. They could have made us furious. We're scared of DeSantis. He could have gone out there and been like, I now outlaw all gay pride parades. I now outlaw two men holding hands in public. You know, he could have decreed all this crazy shit that drove us nuts. All the liberals would have went wild. They could have done that. And they still could have got what they wanted. All the conservative stuff, all the stuff, except he's not totally batshit crazy. He's not psychotic and he's not going to execute us, literally execute us. And they could have had that. And they said, no, 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 it must be Trump. So if people are saying, oh, well, both the Democratic base and the conservative base are crazy, no. Joe Biden's been around forever. He was in the Senate for decades. He was Barack Obama's vice president. He's now been an incumbent president. Joe Biden's not crazy, and he's not ultra-liberal or anything like that. Any of the stuff that they say he is, okay, the liberal base is almost looking at him like, I wish he was these things. He's not any of those things. So the fact that they're like, oh, yeah, well, both sides are equally crazy, that's total bullshit. They could have had Ron DeSantis, a guy who is pretty far to the right, far to the right, very conservative, one of the most agitating politicians in the country, two liberals, and they still said, no, that's not good enough. It must be an outright fascist. If it's not a fascist like Trump, we don't want it. does show you that one base is way, way crazier than the other one. And that comes to the final topic of the podcast, which is still the worst. People would be like, well, Trump, you know, he's the nominee now, so we have to treat him like a legitimate candidate. No, you don't. He's still the worst. I had an episode Uh, years ago called WOAT, Worst of All Time. Trump is still that. It kills me sometimes when I see people on Quora or different question and answer sites because they ask the same questions. And I mentioned this last episode. They say, when's the Civil War going to start? That's one of them. But another one is, who's the worst president of all time? That kind of question comes up all the time, all the time. People ask it almost every day. There's only about 10 questions that get asked on there. And they're the same thing over and over. You read people's descriptions and answers and they're like, oh, Andrew Johnson. No, no, James Buchanan. No, Andrew Jackson. No, no, Nixon. And I'm like, you have to be fucking kidding. 
hate me to not put Trump at least in the bottom five and really the worst. Like, you got to go back to James Buchanan and Andrew Johnson and Andrew Jackson, the War of 1812. Like, Jackson was president in the 1820s, 200 years ago. They're like, well, Jackson was bad to the Native Americans, and he was a racist, and he was violent. He wanted to kill his vice president. John Calhoun, his vice president, was the godfather of secession. In my mind, he's the ideological predecessor for secession of the southern states. And so when Andrew Jackson wanted to kill John Calhoun, it was because of secession. He said, if John Calhoun wants to secede from my country, I will secede his head from his body. I would fucking love to see rhetoric like that from somebody today. Martin Tyler Green talking about secession. Okay, we'll kill you for treason. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Did I say secession? I mean, I love secession, the TV show, S-U-C-C-E-S-S-I-O-N, which of course she doesn't know how to spell secession, so she's not ever going to be able to spell it on the fly like that. She'll misspell it and go to S-E-C. She'll be like, I love the HBO Max show or whatever. Like She will backtrack that shit so fast if somebody had some guts to say to her what Andrew Jackson said, because he had dueled people. He meant it when he said that. So when Andrew Jackson's on his deathbed, he's like, my greatest regret in life is that I did not execute John Calhoun. He was talking about, he knew that the secessionist rhetoric of South Carolina and other states, he knew where that was headed. And he wanted to prevent that. That is a good reason to me compared to I want to kill Mike Pence because he didn't commit treason and he did certify the vote. He did his job and therefore I should kill him and other people should kill him. People should kill him because he committed treason against me personally. You can't commit treason against a person. It is against the Constitution, the government, and the country. Trump doesn't seem to understand the difference between that. He was elected on a technicality, the Electoral College. They chose to see him anyway, even though he lost three million votes. And therefore he is now the government. The government and the U.S. and the flag. He is now the flag incarnate. So people saying, well, Andrew Jackson was horrible Native Americans. Trump's not good to immigrants. He did the Muslim ban. He wants to build an electrified border fence. He separated families at the kids in cages and then their parents are somewhere else. He doesn't like immigrants, period. He wanted to make legal immigration harder. Andrew Jackson being bad to Native Americans 200 years ago is certainly nothing to be proud of, but that's 1820s. In the 2020s, Trump is being a shithead to Mexicans who are also, in a way, Native Americans because you've heard people say, we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, part of California used to all be part of Mexico. If you don't think Andrew Jackson should have been horrible Native Americans 1820s, what's your excuse for how Trump treats Native North Americans, which is to say Mexican people that used to be part of the country that we're now occupying? People say, oh, free Palestine, free Palestine. I'm like, okay, do you want to give your house back to Mexico? No. Why don't you take your California mortgage and why don't you shift that to a Mexican who by right should have it according to you and the laws of ownership you've set up? No, no, I don't want to do that. And then James Buchanan. They say, oh, James Buchanan, he didn't do enough to prevent the Civil War. Well, he didn't cause one like Trump's trying to do. James Buchanan, when he left office, he never even considered not turning the country over to Lincoln. He was like, here, Lincoln, you have it. He was a Democratic president at a time when the Democrats wanted to secede from the country. Most of them were Southern. Buchanan wasn't. Abraham Lincoln was a Northern Republican. And he never even considered staging a coup to hang on to power or not letting Lincoln take office, even though he knew it would lead to civil war. South Carolina had already declared secession before Lincoln actually took office, and he never even considered doing what Trump did. So it's ridiculous to talk about James Buchanan. Then you get to Andrew Johnson. Andrew Johnson was a terrible president, but he was never elected. He was Lincoln's VP. He only became president because of an assassination. And the reason he was the first impeachment is because he fired a cabinet official that Congress had said, oh, you don't have the power to fire this secretary of war. But how do you explain Trump? 
he fired his AG, Jeff Sessions, for recusing himself from investigating the Trump matter and passing that off to a special prosecutor. He fired James Comey, the FBI director, for looking into the Russia thing. He fired other FBI directors like Andrew McCabe because they wouldn't swear loyalty oath to him. He fired General Mattis because he doesn't share Trump's worldview that Russia is our friend and therefore should not be challenged at all. Trump fired all these cabinet officials who either don't share his worldview, the National Security Advisor, H.R. McMaster, eventually John Bolton, General Mattis, Rex Tillerson, or were part of the Justice Department that would not swear a loyalty oath to him above all else. I would think that would be a little bit worse than what Andrew Johnson did. People say, well, Andrew Johnson was a bigot. You don't think Trump's a bigot? They say, Andrew Johnson, he was okay with ending Reconstruction and letting the Southern states pass racist laws. You don't think Trump's okay with that? It is ridiculous to go back to the Civil War era and pick Andrew Johnson or James Buchanan as the worst president. It's 150 years from then that Trump becomes president. At the time that Johnson and Buchanan are president, it's legally okay to have a slave. It's okay to whip a slave. That's your property. Human beings are considered property. 150 years later, I think it's safe to say we're a tad more civilized than that. And Trump is still trying to do some of the same shit. Like 150 years later, we should learn our lesson. We're more evolved. We just had our first black president and then the guy who's the birther in chief takes over from him. I think it is ridiculously irrelevant to go back 150 years and find people who have Trump's attitudes today in modern times. When my parents were born in the Southeast, segregation was legal. It changed. But the first 10 years of their life, it was legally okay to have segregated schools. Within their lifetime, they've seen segregated schools disappear, a black president. These things have changed a lot in the last 60 years. And so to have a guy who hasn't changed with them be president, he's the goddamn worst, not to mention the first to have 91 indictments, the first to have a mugshot, the first to stage a coup in the country, the first impeached twice and then be re-nominated the very next time. Still number one, still the worst. Thanks for listening, everybody.